0: Friday show and it is freely available Uh, I am Neil Atkinson, this is the Anfield Rap, but I say that in a way that I often wouldn't because this is the Friday show and it is freely available. What, if you're listening to the first time, is the Friday show you may ask yourself? All the way through the season we do what is undoubtedly the best Premier League preview show out there and we keep it behind the paywall we have people like Chris Barber and Tezza Simakulwa who are both on this show, who speak brilliantly about Chelsea and Manchester United respectively we've got Robbie Scotcher and Jack Collins joining us on the phone, they speak brilliantly about Crystal Palace and Fulham and me and most Stewart we do the best we can about Liverpool and that's the way in which it works all the way through we do it all the way through the season before every single round of Premier League games and we put it out but previously we put it out behind the paywall not anymore this season uh, the Anfield Wrap second uh, free podcast on a weekly basis will be the Friday show that means we record it on Thursday to confuse everyone but we do put it out on Friday morning and it will be available for you right the way through the campaign my <clears> point around all of this is tell your mates get it shared out there there's this weird Liverpool podcast that you've been listening to for years some of you might even subscribe and it is time that they can share all of this everything that you need around the Premier League uh, coming to you right the way through the season I've also been told and most you may confirm or deny it's good for fantasy football very good Don't just nod Mo You've got to say it out loud uh,
1: <laughs> Yes it's very very good Particularly if you are Trying to work out Who's going to play for whom Who's going to be injured Who's going to be Suspended Etc etc it, it felt then like Mo Was going to David Blaine The fact it was free
2: <laughs> Yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> I'm really against I'm, My words cost
1: <laughs> yeah. Well I mean I I'm always consider myself A premium guy But this is still going to be A premium show so
0: It is It is the best thing out there uh, And that's why I'm delighted That we are bringing it To the other side We're going to start With We're going to start with Manchester United uh, on this one. There's a really weird philosophical Manchester United point, Teza, as far as I'm concerned, which is that every season prior to last summer, it feels as though Manchester United were determined that they were going to, and I use all the inverted commas in the world, bridge the gap in one summer, in one transfer window. Last summer, it didn't feel like that was the case for the first time. It felt as though United's attitude was, we're going to buy some players and we're going to improve. Got a new manager, we're going to improve. And it feels like that's this summer as well. It doesn't feel as though Manchester United are recruiting because they've got a pathway to 95 points and challenging Manchester City (coughs) and anyone else who can get up there. It feels as though Manchester United's plan is incremental improvement. Is that fair?
3: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think also one of the biggest changes that's happened is Edward would believe in. I think his drive for pushing Manchester United to be a commercial success rather than a footballing success is probably they they coincided with each other and it, it was confusing from being a fan from a fan point of view, looking at you know, areas of the team that need to be strengthened, or you could even say the manager needed, needed to be strengthened for years and they were neglected. And what happened was, oh, there's a shiny new toy. Let's get Cristiano Ronaldo, let's get Varane, let's get Sancho. But we need five midfielders, or we need three centre-backs. And it, it, it was very much, um, let's get the name that will bring in people via stock shares and you know, marketing and social media clicks rather than actually let's build a team for a two to five year project. It was very much a now to eighteen month yeah, project. And I think even though Ten Hog's taste in players is questionable sometimes because, you know, we see we sign Anthony for 86 million. You asked me why, I couldn't tell you. Um, things like that. But on on the whole, I think the majority of players that United have been linked with are sensible and they kind of fit a mould and a blueprint of how Ten Hag sees a United team playing. And I think that can also trickle down to the under-23s, 21s, 18s, etc. And I think we haven't really had that for a few years and I think that's probably why we've also signed players that didn't really come inside with the first team. Part of the, the conversation on Ten Hag to me is I think he does have a really clear
0: way in which he wants to play football. Part of that that makes me use the word rigid a little bit. In an era where, you know, we've talked on these shows for years about admiring sides like, e.g., Brighton and the way in which they go about things, which is tons of flexibility, there does appear to be, you may disagree with me, but there does appear to be a level of sort of rigidity about what Ten Hag does. Is the next phase, or has done so far, is the next phase for him to sort of be able to relax that a little bit and get more out of his players? Or do you think it's going to be another quite rigid blueprint for Manchester United this campaign?
3: I'd say it's probably another year of rigidity. A little bit of flexibility because we're in the Champions League rather than in the Europa League. So he's probably going to try to build a squad of players he can trust. Um, The last season, it was very much, I have to play you because I don't have any other options. Lots of times people, other fans were saying, why does De Gea play every single game? But it's because there wasn't anyone else who was capable, who he could probably throw in at a level of kind of trust and... Who, who? Not so much who won't let him down, but almost, you know, De Gea is. Even though De Gea is declined and he's not at the level that he once was, he can still rely on him to kind of be there and be accountable for thirty-eight games. Even though twenty of them he's probably thrown the ball into his own goal. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is that's something, for, something else. <laughs> but um, I think yeah, I think I think this season we will probably see a little bit more of how Ten Hag wants United to play.
0: Um, next little phase on this is the goalkeeper uh, I've, I've noticed online when I've been um, seeing what you're up to you very much like him um, I feel as though if you are talking about for instance being able to not necessarily be less rigid but he's certainly much more of a goalkeeper who's involved in general play and that to me feels as though it's going to be important for United it feels like that is it could be one of the major sort of next steps forward for Manchester United because you know with De Gea, he clearly found that difficult and was arguably also a bit in his own head about it, whereas I don't think uh, Anana's ever going to be in his own head about this sort of thing.
3: Yeah, as long as Anana doesn't go too far the other way, because obviously he was, you know, he doesn't play international football anymore, and and part of that is because he wanted to dribble from his own goal, and the Cameroon coach Song said, we don't do that here, and he said, well, I do, and then he got (laughs) to home. So, if if there's the right level of balance between, you know, knowing when to play off in the back and when to kind of you know, reining it in and being safe, then I think we would be good. When I grew up, it was Fabian Barthez and he used to scare me every single game. And hopefully, it's not to the same level of Fabian Barthez, but yeah, having someone like Alana means then the whole back line can move up 10, 15 yards. And players, well, even though Maguire might leave, but players like Maguire and Lindelof who When they're on the half turn and players are running in behind them, they look scared. They might be a little bit more confident that they know a keeper can sweep and, you know, deal with, um, like, transitional balls in behind. So, I think that's what Onana would probably bring to United um, in terms of, like, confidence for the whole team, I think. What will probably happen as well is United will probably stop conceding the same type of goals that they conceded for the last five years, being the Gea stays on his line. Anyone who gets to the byline can just drop it in six-yard box and if you beat the near post then you've got to tap in. I think now with a keeper that's going to come off
1: his line... That
2: might stop happening. it just sounds like they might concede the same type of
1: different goal oh, Yeah, <laughs> I, it was funny when you were mentioning before about rigidity it made me smile because Andre Anana is literally the furthest point from rigidity <laughs> yeah. that might have ever been on a Um he's a character which is what you always want to have a goalkeeper but I do think fundamentally he is a very good goalkeeper yes. and confidence is the key thing here because not only is he going to give his uh, defenders confidence to give him the ball in difficult situations, he has the confidence that when he does make those mistakes he forgets them instantly, Like I've seen him make a bad mistake in a game and then later on in the same game pull off two or three worldies, he's that kind of guy so there might be times where he makes a mistake in a big game and it becomes a thing but he'll be fine with it. It won't be for him. I, no, and I do think that that's exactly what United needs. Someone who's got that bulletproof nature about him to be able to ride over the bumps.
0: It seems to me, Mo, that goalkeepers, it's underrated, I think, sometimes, how goalkeepers can set uh, the tempo for a team. And mm-hmm. it's interesting, you know, Barthez has mentioned there, I think, you know, the, the Ferguson goalkeeper blueprint always felt like it was oscillating. It was either absolute maniac or calmest man in the world. Van de Sar being the calmest <laughs> man in the world, it's nice to see that he's on the mend. Uh, flipping back, going the other way to, for instance, uh, People like Bartes. I feel as though. That they are your two types They're your options uh, Maniac or ice cool They yeah. are, I, I think for clubs like Manchester United, Liverpool I think that you do almost need You need to feel as though your goalkeeper Is a major presence mm, Definitely,
1: I mean we've got the ice cool guy Who occasionally plays like a maniac yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is almost like the best of both worlds But you're right Um, When you're playing for a big team um, You need to be able to have Like I said, you need to be able to have the confidence To be able to transmit that t- To the guys in front of you that I am in control. And we've seen it previously where if a defense loses confidence in the goalkeeper, it can lead to them making decisions that they're not even sure about, but they feel like they have to then cover for them. And it just kind of, it's like a vicious circle. You see another thing and another thing and another thing. And so, that's why We talked about previously about De Gea probably shouldn't have played as much games as he could, or as he did, but that's because having a settled guy at number one is one of the first things every new manager tries to do because it is so fundamental to everything else going forward. Is it? Is it? It's, it might be a bit
2: naive. Is it? Is it fair to say for the the ten Hag years so far, we've seen we've seen the low water marks, and one of the one of the aims this season might be to, to to set the high ones, set those. Obviously, the League Cup finals a thing, but you know you're thinking about obviously Liverpool, Brentford, the exit to the Europe European competition. Like, is, is there an argument that he hasn't yet? Like I said, let, basically made made the high water mark to show this is this is this is the best it can be because that's all all the all the managers that are now looking really serious and really really proper had that in the first few years and Ten Hag hasn't necessarily had that yet.
3: So I'd say I can pick out pick out specific performances where we have Tottenham at home last season. Yeah. That's Man United's best performance in the last couple of years in terms of the managers implemented a, a way of playing where you know Ten Hag likes to. So Ten Hag, I wouldn't say he's, too, he's like any other manager, I think he's quite flexible, I think he does what he thinks the team should do to win, whereas Pep will do things in a Pep way, Arteta mm-hmm. seems to do things in an Arteta way, Klopp, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. I think what we've seen with Ten Hag, he will kind of utilise what players he has available at the time. I think against Tottenham was the one game where it was kind of like United dominated for about 75 minutes and Laurie's probably had the best game of his season and... And another day that could have been United 6, mm-hmm. Tottenham 0. And not just because we had lots of chances and the keeper made lots of saves. It was all the kind of principles that you you've heard about, you know, how his IX teams played. Where you play off from the back, you create a 3 and a 1 in build-up. And then you have your players wide, full-backs in And all, all, all those kind of things, it happened in that in that game. Yeah. So that's kind of like the standout blueprint. And I think another one Barcelona. would be... Yeah. So both legs against yeah. Barcelona. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, Luke Shaw came in, centre-back, and everyone was like, why isn't Maguire playing? And then Shaw showed why Mm -hmm. he he was playing. Fred, I know he's up and down, and High, but again, it showed that's why Ten Hag wants a high energetic pressing midfield. That's probably why he signed Mason Mum. Sorry about that. I um, forgot to mention
2: that. Uh, he's crap. <laughs> 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 sorry. I know I've done loads of these shows. It's never, never, never popped up. No, you. no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but
3: yeah, like, so you could see like different elements of what. a Ten Hag team at its best could look like but depending on who the opposition is so I think he's happy to kind of Make small adjustments Even in the ethical final Against City We didn't play that well But City were not amazing They just had two chances And scored two Mm -hmm. And United couldn't create After it went 2-1 to City But that was him Changing the midfield And playing five men In the field With a box And one striker So I've I've seen high points But when it's been low It's been That's what I mean It's
2: creating the other extremity Basically what I kind of mean Is some big European night Doing the the double against City Those sort of like Mm-hmm. This, like you said, that Spurs game, that that in three or four bigger games last season, that's it. That's enough. I'm not talking about anything, any major sort of trophy, anything here. Just yeah. the other side of those seven nils, those four nils, those exits. That's that's basically what I mean.
3: I think if we played the same as we did last season, like I I I always think a good manager adapts to the players he has. I think naive managers are the ones who want to play how they think the team should play, and they don't have the players to do it. That's why you looked at the game for this this. This goalkeeper can't play, full stop, and I'm not going to risk it in 50% of the game. So we're just going to go and play in transition or go a bit longer. It looks like it'll be Hojland
0: up front, Hojland, uh, however it's pronounced, Tezza. It looks like it'll be him up front. And then I think it looks like it's going to be out, maybe one more in post the centre forward. But it looks like there's, there is a need. I think that, for instance, one of the things you can praise Arteta for, getting rid of players, clearing the decks, getting ready for the next phase. It looks like that's something that he could do with doing this summer.
3: If a lot of them have outstayed welcomes. Yeah, I think the, the biggest issue with Man United, they're very bad at <laughs> persuading other clubs to pay for the players. I think they allow players to get to within a year, 18 months of a contract, and then suddenly make a decision, oh, I think we need to get rid of them, and then the transfer fee is quite low, or mm. they've been in such bad form that there's no kind of history to show like they're a good player. For example, um, City sell the Youth Academy or Chelsea sell the Youth Academy prospects and get 20-25 million. And then you're talking about United, Alanga's been linked with Everton and I'm seeing figures of 10 and 12 million. And I'm like, Alanga's 20, he's got international experience, he's got Champions League experience. Mm. And then you've got the likes of Shea Charles, I think he's just moved to Southampton from City for 12 million. I'm like, he hasn't played... Any senior football? Mm. How does how does that work? Or Trafford is going to go to Burnley for nearly 19 million, but Henderson's going to go for 20. But Henderson's had international, so I think yes. In an ideal world, I think Ted Tanag would probably get rid of seven or eight players more. Mm. But he's probably realistic and knows that that's not that isn't feasible for me to get rid of six or seven and then bring in the three or four and promote the three or four youngsters. It's probably a case of. You might see Fred for an extra year. You might see Van der Beek. I forgot he played for United. <laughs> he scored the volley yesterday, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> You got a new stri- <laughs> new <laughs> Um, So it, it's a case of uh, yeah, just being clever with the ins and outs. Okay. Uh, excellent stuff from Tezza. It's Jack Collins on Fulham. I do
0: warn you, uh, I recorded this before the news broke uh, that Saudi Arabian club were offering forty million for Marco Silva. Uh, it probably came more of a sh- shock to Jack than it did to anybody else, and you may well uh, sense that in this. I'm joined by Jack Collins uh, from Fulham-ish to talk about, well, as you'd expect, Fulham uh, and matters uh, that are a bit-ish. And this is the where Fulham find themselves, Jack, is that there are some clubs that get to run transfer windows uh, and get to throw the weight around. And I think every club feels that that isn't them. But even in the Premier League and even with the Premier League riches, there are there is a subcategory of clubs who have to firstly find out what's going to happen to them uh, and how much the recompense is going to be before they can genuinely plan their own business. And it feels as though at every level that is for them this summer, it starts with the manager and it involves two or three key players.
4: Yeah, we're, we're at the bottom of the the domino effect, the butterfly effect, if you will, here. But I mean, I think that's only natural given the Premier League food chain. Obviously, not every major club goes and spends loads of money every summer, but it does mean that you know where you exist within the pecking order, and that's fine. That like, is just kind of how it is, right? So Yeah, I think more than anything, it's uncertainty that has dominated Fulham's window. And I'd love to be sitting here going, I have an idea of what's going to happen in the next week. But the truth is that I don't. And I don't really think that anyone does, including the people at Fulham. The offer has been on the table for Marco Silva. For some months, by all accounts, uh, at this point, and he's agreed to the terms, and there seems to be some genuine confusion in the back room at Fulham as to why he hasn't signed it yet. But whether that's angling for a better deal, he's obviously under new agencies. There's plenty kind of up in the air. I think he'll stay now. I'm 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 pretty convinced. I think if he was going to go, he would have gone for that Al halal offer, which was big, big money. I can't see someone else coming in and now being able to shepherd him into into those realms. And I don't think another Premier League club is going to come in for him. So I think his options are relatively limited in, in in that regard. I can't see him leaving. And I think once that happens, we'll see us you know a pinball. I don't think Willian and Anthony Robinson sign new contracts unless Marco Silva has given them assurances that he's staying. The big question remains Alexander Mitrovic. Um, It looks like Al-Halal are coming with a third offer, 40 million euros or so. So Fulham have said that they probably are not going to accept that. Whether Mitrovic now decides he's going to kick up a stink or not is a different question. And if he does where that leaves the club in terms of what they want. But uh, you know, this is the thing Fulham can't as you say it much depends on other clubs I think the Saudi Arabia issue complex whatever you want to call it has added a further wrinkle into this in terms of suddenly like oh and I know you're feeling it at Liverpool as well you know things felt stable and suddenly they've come thrown in an, an offer for Luis Diaz and I don't think he's going anywhere but you know it just it just is one of those things you hang on he was definitely set to be the guy this season and suddenly there's all of this on the on, on the table and it's changed the way that we look at the transfer window so I'm Quietly comfortable. I mean, I would love Fulham to make some signings. We've got off on our US summer tour where we'll play Brentford and Chelsea and Aston Villa with zero new faces added to the pack. But I think that will start to change over the next couple of weeks. You mentioned it's starting to change. I'm fascinated by, you know, the the there's a couple of lines, for instance,
0: knocking around on one's Calvin about. Well, Bassi, uh, as an example, who's currently mm. at Ajax, did impress at Rangers, ended up at Ajax. There's also a couple of the bits and pieces where in the in the coverage around that, I love it, it, has this line. Fulham have offers in for multiple defenders at the minute. And that keeps coming up over and over again when I was when I was preparing to speak to you. Fulham have offers have offers in for multiple defenders at the minute. It feels as though it's almost as though Fulham have, have, have cast a net and are just waiting to sort of pull that net up and go okay this is this is who slipped through this is where we are this is what we're up to and that to me strikes me as something which Again, is 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 a situation that a club like Fulham, I think, ends up in a little bit more than we give it credit for. There isn't the room to necessarily be able to be really, really surgical through the market. There is instead the idea of we want this type of player. There's this many of them. This is what they cost. This is what the wage would be. Let's throw the net in. Let's pull up and let's sort of have a little look. And Calvin Bassey is one of them. But there will be multiple of those footballers for whom the manager then works with and works out how to get the best of. Is that fair?
4: yeah 100 and and you can tell the kind of player that fulham are looking at is a left center back calvin Bassi fills that mold we're also short of fullback he can play left back i don't really like him there but he can um you know th- those are the things that we have to do and i think when you look at that net the players in it igor julio of fiorentina Morato of benfica both have had offers in the, on the table from fulham and then calvin Bassi now the latest to be rumored i'm not 100 sure if there's actual money gone on the table in that one but you can you could see the style, the, the profile. I think the other thing that contributes to this, and is, is part of that net analogy, I think, is that Fulham seemed to be favourites to sign Igor a month ago. And then suddenly, Levi Colwell has decided, or Chelsea have decided, that Levi Colwill isn't going anywhere. Brighton have had to switch their attentions away for another centre-back. And the latest to break on Igor is that Brighton are having a look, and suddenly, if you've got a team that are playing in the Europa League, who are on the up, who have Roberto De Zerbi as their manager, then that's going to be an attractive proposition to you know to anybody. And and I think that those kind of things are the. Other wrinkles that's not it's just like,
0: it will it, let use the net metaphor. The players and the agents are the sort of players that you know Fulham might want, they're doing the same thing, but in the, in the reverse, they're yeah. in their net. We might want to move this summer, this is where we might go. We've either had a good year and we want to build on it and move on, or we might have had a, a mixed year and feel as though it changes what we need. They're yeah. doing the same thing and they're going to see what the net pulls up. And if the net pulls up Brighton and the net pulls up Fulham, it's realistic, they'll f- throw Fulham back.
4: Yeah. 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 hundred percent because you know, this is, this is it, this is the chain. And you know, in a year's time that might not look like the smart move, you know, Brighton and Aston Villa might struggle with the demands of European football. We don't know what those things are going to shake out. I don't think that'll happen, but you know, we, we don't know exactly how this is going to shake out and how it's going to, you know, end up. But I think that, there are plenty of full of very frustrated at the moment with the lack of business and the lack of moving forward because it felt like there was a summer to build on things. But it's, you know, it's not as easy as you say as, as going out and be like, right, there's a the player we want. Let's go and get him, lock him through the door because. You have to convince, you know, this is not a top six club that are going to be kicking back towards Europe. This is not a side that have European football to offer at this very point and probably won't again next year. You know, we we spoke about what expectations would be. I would take comfortable survival again in a heartbeat. For, for what would be a successful f- season for Fulham. And so you have to look at the kind of players and where they want to be. And be like, okay, can you come in and improve us? And do you want to put that graft in? And can we convince you by showing you that other players and the manager are staying? And right now, there's rumours about Mitric. There's rumours about Polinia. There are still rumours about Silva not signing the contract. That's quite a hard sell. And so Fulham get caught in this kind of vicious cycle as well. On Polina, just to sort of sum up, if
0: it looks to me, it's all just a... It looks to me like it's a little bit difficult because I think it's difficult to sort of pin his value. Um, Fulham are in a position where, you know, there's there's clubs that are mooted. West Ham have £105 million burning a hole in their pocket and Fulham yep. know that because they're not idiots. Um, Liverpool uh, have been linked and Liverpool, if, if Fabinho moves on, theoretically, they start £40 million burning a hole in their pocket, if not more, from other deals, you know, whether or not that's something that they want to do. I find the idea of how Fulham peg a value around Paulinho difficult. And I also feel as though the footballer himself might be a little bit more complicated than just the idea of, well, he might just definitely want to move on. It's worked for him at Fulham for a year. Um, I I think we can sometimes get carried away that they'll always want to move on to bigger and better things. Um, I think that's been a little bit of his plan, but the flip side is, and he is a certain age and all that sort of stuff. But I do wonder whether or not he he knows where home is, uh, Paulinho, in a way that I think it might make him slightly trickier to pry. I don't think he's going to burn any bridges, is my point. All the footballers might do to get a move to a European club at this point. But I don't, I don't feel from the outside, you may think differently. Polina not going to burn any bridges to go. Well,
4: Polina left Champions League football to join Fulham. Yeah. Uh, that, I think that's something that people, you know, kind of forget. So d- if he, if he didn't assume that Fulham were going to get Champions League football this year, which I assume he <laughs> did, because that's, What's that does he, I mean, look, that, that seems like a reasonable, a uh, reasonable assumption to make on his part. Then, you know, you're, you're looking at that and going, well, he's already traded that in at a club that, he was basically, you know, at home at, in, in Portugal. He's obviously come to test himself in the Premier League. Now, look, I think if Liverpool came in for Polinia and there was genuine interest, then he would have to consider that seriously. I don't think it's the same with West Ham. And I don't mean that in any sort of disrespectful way. I just think that you look at the, the, the way the two clubs played last year. Yes, West Ham went and had a brilliant victory in the Conference League and they deserve all the plaudits for that. But is he making a major step up? Is he making a major step up in any sort of sense by going to West Ham and wondering where they're going to finish in the league this year and also coming in to replace Declan Rice, who he's a very different player too and that the expectations of that going in under David Moyes you know he's got a very good relationship with Marcus Silva there is a massive Lusophone population at Fulham of Brazilians and Portuguese yeah. and I think that all of those things probably contribute to where he's happy and and so therefore I, I struggle with the idea that Pelina is agitating for a move to West Ham and I, in fact I, I don't believe that to be true from everything that I've heard we've had some sources saying West Ham wouldn't bid if they haven't had encouragement I, I don't think that's true I don't I think that's true in the slightest. I think they've got cash to burn. As you say, they're willing to throw it around. There's lots of targets out there. Zachariah, you look at Edson Alvarez. I think they're just sort of, as you say, casting the net and seeing if anyone has a little nibble. And I don't think Pelina is going to be the player that has that nibble
0: there we are, Uh, great to speak to Jack Uh, more uh, from as the season wears on including a long chat about how seriously Fulham should take the Cups Uh, that occurred to me whilst we were talking there Jack and I'm just saying it now so you're still it's coming in the late (laughs) days, Uh, that is to come uh, but we'll get back over to the room great stuff from Jack, Uh, absolute pleasure having him on at every opportunity Uh, we've done a video today Transfer Roundup show, uh, which is freely available on the YouTube at the time that you're listening to this, you should check it out when we talk about Liverpool, so we're not doing too much now Mo, for me, I do want to bring Chris and Tezzer in uh, on it as well I bet um, they can't wait. They can't wait. <coughs> the, 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 there's a thing I've got is that I've written down here to prep for this. The, the really interesting Liverpool thing, because I'm about to say this phrase, question marks, there's question marks mm. on Jones, Arnold, Thiago, and Elliot, before you even talk about new signings and potential signings. There's a thing with question marks where often when people like me use that language, what we mean is, oh, God, things could go a bit wrong. The really interesting thing about the question marks on Jones, Arnold, Thiago, and Elliot is... There's lots of ways in which one or more of them, there couldn't have be been an excellent answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the manager's job, I think, to get the excellent answers out of those four players, for instance, of around whom there's question marks.
1: Yeah, I think so. Because one of the questions is can uh, Curtis Jones or McAllister fill in and play decent long minutes in a defensive midfield role, not necessarily normally a six, but in the position where that person would be? And if the answer is yes, and then we've obviously got a lot more great options and it means that there's not quite so much pressure to get in as many heavy hitters as we have but the, the problem is is the, when are these questions going to be answered because yeah I feel like there's some, ans- some answers that we the public don't know But those inside do know But there are still some That they don't know And when will they When will they find out To an acceptable amount Okay You don't have to be Half time at Stamford Bridge And the answers <laughs> Oh god That's, the, that's yeah, your point Exactly Yeah I, I'd rather that wasn't the case But it, I mean It still could be It could be uh, Chris Liverpool I've been knocked aside I think Liverpool's plan
0: Henderson I think You can put to one side In a sense I think where Liverpool's plan they. I think they expected That they were going to play And use Fabinho Over the course of the season and I think it looks from the outside. You may feel differently, but it does look to me as though Liverpool are now scrambling a little
2: bit. Yeah, and I think it's, it's odd like listening to <clears throat> to Mo there, like so. So much of what we're going to talk about today, I think, although they're three clubs in such different scenarios, they're in they're actually quite aligned in their sort of solutions versus problem management. And I think in, a, in an ideal world, you can get away with finding out across the season. But the problem is now is realistically, if you're aiming for anything important you've almost got to be at perfection so you can't have they might be okay they might not um and so that that makes it tricky that makes a scramble happen that makes it real because there's, there's nothing to suggest that Lavia is is, is going to solve it and he might he may but even then there's, there's there's no there's no absolutes and you almost feel like to do well nowadays you have to be dealing with with absolutes um but on I mean if, if I may on on you're a friend of mine, Jordan. I mean, the last time I spoke to you, Neil, you asked me how it felt to be um, effectively part-owned by the uh, the Saudi PIF, uh, and I just thought that that was that was good. And when the news broke, I felt a real personal. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you've got what is effectively the Chelseaification of Liverpool, which I'm really into. I didn't. Re- I was saying to me before I didn't realise Henderson was quite so Chelsea. And when him and Costa were <laughs> <laughs> when, when him and Costa Costa were squaring up, I wonder what they were actually chatting about because they're, 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 they're nice. I'm, I'm into it. I mean. <laughs> you know it's taken me I moved here 12 years ago since then both clubs have won it all and finally
1: we are as one <laughs> <laughs> that might be the most impressive part about it, it
2: and I love it you know hands across the barricade <laughs> you've absolutely come alive every <laughs> bit of news that's broken you uh, I, I, I did a pub call with you and everywhere we went you told me a different player had left and I hadn't no, heard Chelsea, yeah, Chelsea yeah, yeah, yeah sorry yeah yeah. so it's just like I said I'm just having a rare swing we went to no, we went to. I think I, I think I broke the news to you Three players yeah. uh, Leaving yeah. Chelsea in Yeah forms. yeah yeah So you know You swing for the king You better not miss <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and here we are Here we, here we are I think the, the
0: thing Watching Liverpool last night In pre-season Which I know you won't have done Tezza, But one of the things That struck me Was the embarrassment Of Richardson attack I think four of Liverpool's Five attackers All looked to me Really sharp Really switched on And, and it was a bit of a reminder There that whilst there are Question marks in midfield And I have to log One or two in defence as well you know, Liverpool are in a situation where there is an embarrassment of riches up front and I think that that I think that might well become a bit of a linchpin Of what Jurgen Klopp decides he looks to do Over the course of the season Because if you've got really, really good attackers Make sure you're attacking really, really well Which Liverpool arguably weren't at all last season
3: Yeah, and I think Well, was it last summer where Suomeni was the number one target And then you signed Nunez instead So I don't know what happened in terms of the communication To go for Let's spend 60, 70, 80 on A defensive midfielder for the next five years And then it swapped to Let's get a centre forward Because then Followed that in January came Cody Hakpo as well. So you're kind of looking at, what, 140 million spent on attackers when you needed maybe three midfielders then, and now you're still in the same position, but probably slightly even worse because your most experienced midfielders are leaving as well. So I don't really know what the transfer kind of strategy was or has been in the last couple of years, where usually Liverpool are quite you know, they're quite deliberate of who they go and get. They they kind of source a player for a position and then that's the player they, they go for. And if they don't get them, then they the ball's move.
0: an attack of 40 million or more in the last three windows.
3: Yeah. that's yeah, Gapo and Nunez. And I don't know whether that was a thing of because Salah, Firmino, Mane, all might leave or we just need to keep them fresh because previously Shaqiri and Origi were the backups. But then let's neglect the rest of the team. Um I'd say... I mean, I don't know who could who Liverpool could, could get, I think, before this, we were speaking about probably them changing formation and playing two of them, um, and probably going with, it'll probably be McAllister because he's the number one, and then maybe sub plays as the ten, and then you play someone else alongside them, and that's how you get the balance, but in terms of spending big money on, on a specific profile, I don't think there is one, I think Klopp probably has to be a little bit more clever Than he has been in previous seasons And I don't mean putting Trent into midfield I don't think that's a long-term solution I think Trent is a right back And he'll come into midfield anyway But I don't think Trent being a midfielder Helps in any sense
2: at it Just on what you said there Do you think... Part of the transfer policy has been the, the, the house felt like it was built on that front three. And if you look at Jurgen Klopp's wider career, he's lost attackers quite suddenly and mm. not necessarily come back from that. And the rest of it felt forever. Allison, Van Dyke, Henderson, Fabinho, you could kind of rely on that. Alexander-Arnold's trajectory sort of continuing. And almost like that, it was future-proofing. But the future, Mane, Mane leaving was fine. Firmino, obviously, leaving. Like, It wasn't the problem he was... He was basically a solution looking for a problem and potentially... Looked overlooked the actual problem, and then as it ended up now, like you said, scrabbling, effectively Because I agree on Alexander, and I think it, it'd be daft because he's so effective at right back. You should cover if you want to do anything. Cover the part of it. everyone's got. Everyone's got a side of the game that's not as good. His is still really good, but you can. You, it's not. It's not. It's not a problem. His
1: defense. I think it's a bit of a myth, obviously, but you can cover that rather than lose what he offers. I think. Mm. I think we have to remember that there was a long period of time where he was playing a right back, and we were doing very, very well. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so, what I mean. And, the, and there was a long time where the theory was last season, the only reason that he's looking so uh, weak defensively is because the midfield in front of him is not mm-hmm. configured. So there's an argument that says that if we do configure that, then no, he doesn't need to go into midfield. However, there is also the fact that we have seen the potential upside of him being in the midfield. The things that he can do even better from being in and around that. And Once you've had a taste of that, it's kind of tempting to say, can we find a way of doing that more? And I personally would like to see us get into a situation where he can play in midfield and be devastating, and we cannot necessarily have to lose out too much because we've got a defensive structure around him, but he can also play a right back and the same is true. I think to say that he's definitely only going to be one of those things forever and ever and ever and ever from now, I don't think we're in a situation to do it. I don't think he wants that. I don't think he wants I mean, that either. I think that's one of your driving forces. I don't think he necessarily
0: wants that, and that's difficult. Yeah, But also you have to allow players the idea to develop it. I certainly don't want to see him at number eight. That's not for me at all. I think he's got to have as much of the game in front of him as possible mm. and be able to arrive into areas and, and and have space to to arrive into. I don't want to see him at number eight. I'm, I'm intrigued as to what it looks like if he was the deepest mm. in a classic four-three-three three sort of way. Even that, I'd worry about a little bit because I think he would need he'd be in Alonso, need to Mascherano or a Sissoko. Mm. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Sort of and that and that that change, therefore what you are doing around.
2: I think what you said there is there's sometimes this myth that because you're playing for the club you want to play for, the rest of it is basically you just have to be really passive and like. Like <laughs> former and former professional footballer Mason Mount proved that actually if you if you if you if you're not if you're not if you're not, if you're not happy. Wait, he retired? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, he yeah, did what I did from London to the North West and you retired, it's fine, move on. Um, and then um and then you basically realize you'd you'd have to do anything for those players. But like you said, Alexander Arnold, I find his personal application and his personal competitiveness and sort of like Self-image and self-awareness is, is part of what makes him so impressive. And he's not just going to be a right-back because you've told him, he, if he thinks he can do it, if he thinks his game can become 360 or whatever, he'll, he'll be interested in doing that. And it's a long career. When you start as early as he did, it's a long career.
0: that's a thing, Yeah, you know, I think it's really difficult. And also, there is a there is a thing there where what you said before... So, some, let's use the two lads who are going for being here on Henderson can make the argument of, I've won everything there is to win here. And... And now I want to move on For any reason You know Obviously mm-hmm. in this instance It looks like it's very Financially driven But I want to move on You turn to the at Arnold You've still got 10 more years Of football to play mm-hmm. And that's where I think it'd be good. So what do I want to do I've got everything there is to win I'd quite like to do it all again But maybe play, play A different type of football In a different position Or yeah. With, yeah. with different owners
2: And I think that's And you see that in of, someone Like Harlan's contract These players now That are exceptional No they can do it if or if They can do it again And again <laughs> and again They can go and actually have A, a pr- pretty much
1: Brand new type of career But I think the way that Trent looks at it is that he's looking at it almost as if he's a version of a Gareth Bale. Who started his career with mm-hmm. defensive and mm-hmm. basically moved for? Obviously, I don't think he's going to end up in the forward line. But it's is, it, fra- is this the argument that he should play left wing? No, <laughs> no. The argument <laughs> is that, like you say, he's done his, he paid his. Deal. Trust me, I'm not going to cause heart attacks for. I, I know I'd, rather, I'd
0: rather, I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd probably rather he played left wing than played number eight, as mad as <laughs> that is. Because the idea of him coming in off the off the left with that right foot, I saying. mean, yeah,
1: that, that would that He probably does it in training and probably lights the whole play shot But anyway, the point I was making is is that. You can go through certain phases of your career where... originally he was that and he was very good and very devastating at that and then he got to a Tottenham side where it's like we don't need you to me that anymore, you can go off and be this We, you're. it's so important to our team, we're giving you the freedom to accentuate just the good bits and so you don't have to do any of the bad bits that's the part that I think that Trent's after I think he wants to have more of the good stuff and less of the responsibility of having that really uh, tricky fast winger coming at him 20 times a day or having two players just constantly putting balls over the top of the defence for him to chase after for, 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 for 30 minutes a game. I think those are the parts he probably doesn't want to do as much. But as a as a team, it's difficult because, I mean, honestly, if we'd have got Plan A and got Chirham last summer, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Hmm. He'd, be, he'd be still a right back. But he might be. He might, they might have done the inverted thing. They might have done the inverted thing. He might have done the inverted thing.
0: We'll have to see. Uh, Robbie Scotcher on Crystal Palace. Here we go. Talking to us about Crystal Palace it is Robbie Scotcher. Uh, we've all got over the shock of uh, the perpetuation of Roy Hodgson at Crystal Palace. We'll loop back <laughs> round on for that. I'm sure, Robbie. I want to start off with uh, ultimately one of the saddest bits of the summer. I'd argue is Elise being injured. Uh, he's a footballer who you know is. It, it, I just think he's a joy to watch. Um, I really yeah. do, and he's now of the age where you expect to see him kick on. Um, that it's in an, that it comes in an international competition, obviously probably possibly sticks in the craw a little bit. Uh, and it just feels like he's not going to get a preseason and it might, might be September, October before he's ready.
5: Yeah. I mean, again, it's, it's one of those things. We, we had it with Ed, with Ezra as well. Um, he's in a good spot in terms of people around him to look after him, people that have been through it. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's hugely damaging to us, hugely damaging to the plans at the start of the season. um, Massive disappointment because, I mean, he was really pushing on and I, I thought he was really finding his spot as well. Yeah. Uh, he had a bit of a difficult start to the season, just kind of finding his way, but he suddenly get, he started to get a rhythm as Palace really got rhythm to him and uh, he's just he's
0: such a vital player for us. Without him, you know, is, is this going to be something that they're going to have to think about recruiting for? Because there's still no, no clarity whatsoever on where Zaha's ending up. Uh, Jefferson Lerma's <laughs> coming on a three. Uh, Zaha's still up in the air. I mean, it, you can feel as though it's just a short-term option, but you would think that any move would involve the notion of of maybe just maybe a footballer who can who, who can play that side as well as, as possibly where Zaha was.
5: We've got Saki, who's coming back from Charlton. He had an amazing... He was on loan at Charlton. He did really well last year, scored quite a lot of goals. He's been featuring a lot in pre-season. I imagine that's where we're going to look. We're going to look to push him on a bit. Um, We've got a couple of other young players that are coming through. I think we might try and blood them a little bit as well. Fingers crossed. I mean, he's he's young. He's going to come back from this fairly quickly, I'd imagine, at least say. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's only the start of the season. In terms of Zaha, I mean... Is he going to enjoy, enjoy the uh, Expendables League? I don't know. Is he going to go to you know Saudi or is he waiting for a big offer? Uh, the other thing that's quite interesting about that is obviously now he's left us officially. Any, any obligation we had to Man United is now gone. So if he comes back to us, um, it's a new signing. So all that deal goes. So that would be quite handy. But, um, yeah, I think our midfield was really starting to shape up at the end of last season. I think Jordan Ayew as well could slip into that left-hand side role. Um, It'll be in, or even um, Jeffrey Schlapp as well. I think we're only going to look to cover to Elise's back, though. I don't think we're going to buy anyone in.
0: Are you going to buy anyone in or do much business full stop? It's been very, very quiet so far. Just Jefferson Lerma in, who I think is, is is a good player. I think he's a good signing for free. What's your, what is your instinct here? Do you think Palace are waiting to see how everything calms down? What do you think Palace are going to look to do this summer?
5: I think it's one of those things that a, a, a lot of our deals will, you know, it's to do with what other clubs do. So if one player goes, that might start a chain of events where other players moving around. I, I can't imagine we're going to keep everyone this summer. I mean, for side. there's a lot of teams that are really struggling for centre-backs right now. Mark Gay is absolute gold, and I, I can see someone coming in for him. Um, I don't think Eze will move. Um, obviously, there's the Decoré rumours that are going around at the minute. Um, I don't think we'll lose a lot of players, but I think a lot of what we do, will will have to wait for something else to happen first, and I think it will have a, like a snowball effect. But we need a striker. And I'm looking at Nketiah. We've been looking at him for a long time. There's a lot of players that we're looking at. We're not going to go for someone we've not looked at for a while.
0: The striker thing to me is interesting because, it's you know, when you go through that Palace side, as you say, a lot of these footballers are, are quite coveted elsewhere. Both centre-backs, arguably, are uh, hugely impressive. We've mentioned Elise and his excellence. You know, we've mentioned Zaha, whatever happens there. Eze is one of my favourite players to watch in the division. And yet Palace finished where they finished last season. And, you know, you can go through this list of, well, he'd be good for a top six side and he'd be good for a top six side. Then every now and again, when this happens for a team, I'm a bit like, so why aren't they a lot closer to being a top six side? With Palace, it does feel as though there is one sentence here, which is, I don't think it's ever entirely been settled or worked out for years who it is who's who's Crystal Palace's best number nine. It does feel as though if you could click your fingers and do one thing for Palace, it would be bring them in an 18 goal a season striker and expect to see them shoot up the division. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely.
5: But I mean, you know, there's a lot of teams that are looking for that player and and you're lucky if you find him, you're lucky if you find a player that can do that sort of stuff. Um, And a lot of the players we've looked at that we coveted for a long time, Armstrong at Southampton, we wanted him for ages, did nothing. We were really close to Welbeck at one point, then he got injured. We've always been looking at certain players and is is one that we're looking at. And I think he would suit the way we played. Although I think that's a Vieira signing, really. I don't know what Roy would look at for that. It's it, it's tough. It, I mean, Mitrovic has been an absolute steal for Fulham, but apparently he's going to move on from there. It's it's hard to find that player that fits that system that's willing to put in a bit of donkey work and do do that up top for us because they're going to get the ball in all sorts of different situations. We ask a lot of our strikers because we're not always pushing the ball, playing beautiful football. Sometimes it's around their neck. You know what I mean? Mm. So you know, someone like Matete, he's not really good enough, but he shows glimpses and he, he kind of he keeps himself in the running by doing that now and again. It would be great if we went out and bought that player, but there's there's us, there's Fulham, there's West Ham, there's so many other teams that are around that want the same players and we're in the same pool. It's 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 difficult. We found it really hard to get that player.
0: Last little thing then is then to ask about the absence opposite the other end of the pitch is the expectation that they're going to look for a goalkeeper as well because Gaeta now he's I think he's 36 he's got one year left on his deal Johnston played some games towards the back end of last season he's 30 he's never quite grabbed the position do you think they might do a goalkeeper or do you think they might back Johnston?
5: Johnston
0: Uh I, I the Glaser will start, I would imagine,
5: but Johnson, I think he's the one they're pushing forward. and We've got a young lad, he's 18, that's coming through behind him. He made his debut against Brighton and had a really good game. Um, I think he's someone they're going to push as the number two, then number three. I mean, you know, I'm sure we'll pick up someone from somewhere. I wouldn't be surprised if Sprony turns up again.
0: <laughs> uh, excellent stuff just last little thing is what what does constitute a good season uh, in your mind from, you know, prior to a ball being kicked still not having obviously any of the transfer stuff settled in terms of both outs and ins is it as simple as don't let what happened last year happen again um, and have it ever wait or do you think it's something else
5: I don't think I've ever sat here and predicted a Palace season and got it right I don't think I've ever worked <laughs> out what is going to go on I don't think I could ever sit here and go, this is my expectation of what I want because it just won't exist. All I can tell you right now is we're all level on points and it's a great place to start. And I'll be skipping, skipping to the pub on the first day of the season with all the hope before a ball is kicked. And all I want is that the South London players to play well. I want to stand up when someone gets the ball. I want to see a few goals and I want to love my football. That's pretty much all I can give you.
0: Thought you can ask for, thanks a lot to Robbie, let's get back over Great to speak to Robbie, uh, Chris we've got you in uh, To talk about Chelsea, I do feel mean um, We're talking about who can play midfield And where midfielders are I think Chelsea can have a really good season, there's no Europe I want to say that before we go any further um, But there's also no midfielders um, Fernandez, Lewis Hall Santos um, Chukou uh, Gallagher, who I think Chelsea sort of want to move on, but he's probably looking around him and training and going, if I stay in, I'm getting games because <laughs> there's yeah, no yeah. one else who plays there. And Cuckoo possibly could, you know, if Chelsea played four, two, one, three, he could be the one behind the three. Let me be clear, Chris, there's a lot of wingers.
2: I mean, it's not often I write notes, but <laughs> 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 there's so much going on. I thought I went to a uh, went to 90 degree coffee and thought i give this some thought. Um, Especially, I was going to the general public, not just the the people who pay for it. Um, I think I think you probably need a two. And I think if you manage, if you if we manage Caicedo, which is, is looking like it should happen, whether it will, who knows? <laughs> then th- there's 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 enough for the number of games we've got. Like you said, I think Hall and Cuckoo won't won't be that. I kind of think it'll be a, a maybe a two three one situation, possibly. But it comes back to that. It's what I said before. I think the manager has to be. Has to be flexible, and I think that's part of why he took the job. You know, it's not it's not often that you get a club sort of like that are a Chelsea's profile, which you you feel like you've had an actual reset. Um, And so I think I think he he will be quite flexible. I think, and then that's where you get to then you get to Gallagher, and I I sort of think I think Gallagher stays, and I think he stays because I think he's a useful player, and I think he manages to be both over and underrated at at the same time. I think um, he. I personally think he's okay playing deeper. I think I think he's, he's he where he where he gets a bit where he struggles a bit is when he's expected to do a lot more and be a bit more um, relied on. And I think he's, he's the third. If you've got Caicedo and, and Fernandez, you, you you don't you know one of them looks after or one of the defenders behind him looks after Gallagher now. But I, I think he, I think he's got it in him, and I think that he does well enough or looks 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 uh, dynamic enough and mouldable enough to manage a, like. Potuccino that he probably thinks well there's not there's not much value in getting a bit of money for you and, and letting you go to someone and maybe they find the answer whereas you can actually just regularly do a bit of a job for me in big games small games you know what I mean he, he yeah. he's kind of he's a bit of a, he's got he's got enough about him I think the
1: mouldable bit is key really because I do think that if you look at the way that he plays he has ability he's just just a bit of a puppy yeah yeah and that's what I mean and I, from Pochettino's point of view, he's kind of been through that where you've got guys who are maybe a bit young, maybe a little bit raw, yeah. but you've been able to kind of get them to buy into your system and flourish. I mean, Dele Alli yeah. screams right away. So, obviously, you don't have Mason Mount anymore. I wouldn't be surprised if Pochettino. Yeah. Well, obviously, he's crap, yeah. That's why he got picked by all of your managers. Um, <laughs> but Pochettino will be probably saying to Gallagher, look, all of the, all of the things I had planned for Mason Mount, that's now you. So, all of the times where I was going to be using him as the third alongside, mm. like you say, if they've got a Caicedo in and an Enzo, then that's pretty much the security, but also ball progression, ball tempo covered. So then you just need someone to do the puppy work. Yeah. So, and I've said without, excuse the point, if you harness that, it, 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 it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's manageable.
2: There's no other word to use. If there was, I wouldn't have used harness. I'm not George. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, and, and I sort of think the thing about the Kaisera thing, which just I know we're not really on about, it, is the briefing beforehand was they were going to have one swing and they were going to get it right and they weren't going to get and then and then already we're now in this like open bidding saga and it's just like it's it, it's like we don't know we're being filmed sort of thing. That's <laughs> what it feels like <laughs> sometimes, um, and that, that that that's frustrating. But I think it will probably happen. And it, will, it will join up, and I think it's it's, it's a really good fit. Um, the thing with
3: Gallagher for me is. That midfield configuration that you said, Caicedo, Enzo, Gallagher, is the only way I can see Gallagher playing. I think so. He if he doesn't play with those, I don't think he's good enough to play so with he, the others.
2: I think there's a two and he's a third. That's what I, that's kind of. I don't. I don't think the three. I don't necessarily. I think coming onto the wingers and the attackers and and the defenders and and so on. I don't. I, I do sort of think he'll he'll try and keep that down to I think, the, the but, two of the three.
0: My thing on that though, Tess there is a universe where Chelsea only play forty games and I think that this yeah. is and I think that this is the sort of the missed beat in the Chelsea thing when I do look at the midfield and the flip side of that is when I look at therefore the number of players who play in wide areas I'm a bit like how do you think you're keeping all these boys happy because that is that that's quite a staggering number on the flip side but of crosses yeah they're, <laughs> they're, but, but no centre forwards But <laughs> <No>, uh, <laughs> well, no about Nicholas Jackson but that, you just, yeah. just, that, that's what I do wonder is that whether or not there is an argument to say alright we are going to actually cut at this a little bit off the basis the fact that if there is a season where you can get through with just 20 and then build Again next summer It may well be this one Where it's possible You only play 40 games
3: Potentially But I think Chelsea Obviously a lot of the players Wanted to leave Or end of contracts Or had really good offers But I think What they've done Is what I kind of Criticised Leicester And Brendan, Brendan Rodgers For doing Where he's got so many players At a similar level That there's no real hierarchy You could probably well you could I could ask you what you think your Chelsea team 11 would be you probably would pick I six. Yeah, can we, that's what I'm saying yeah, can I get that that back before? to the coffee <laughs> shop that, that's, that's what I'm saying you probably, you probably you probably ask you and probably 100 of people and 6 or 7 will be down there but the, f- yeah, the last yeah. four, 5 or 6 will be debatable and I think that's what the issue was for Potter as well there mm, was still yeah. too many options and there's no clear standout that's He's the best winger He's the best midfielder He's so, the best X, Y, Z And I think Like you, The list of wingers They've mm. just this, What's the guy from Benfica Diego or something They've just signed another Left footed right winger
2: Get him in Get them all in <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> They've got Madueke. They've got Sterling But the, the got...
2: way we, we was touching it a bit with, with you around Like the idea of partnerships Like you said then There's no The problem with Chelsea is They've been Relying on individual talent That isn't there You've for, got five left backs Yeah but <laughs> I mean They're not all Obviously I mean They're not going to play <laughs> Fucking hell What an obvious sentiment to me. But what I mean
0: is, no, is At least to picked the team With six uh, Six lads who played Left back in um, nineteen ninety. And, and what happened to him Yeah no no, no
2: no no 1990, He
0: might to do that Go
2: on uh, But it's that thing of It's all about partnerships And that's what Chelsea Haven't had for a long long oh, time yeah, yeah. So it, it might be We don't know I, I'd, I'd be as shocked as you That three midfield field Could, could happen it, it could click And it could for some reason We can't predict it In the same way that You know I felt like Oh, it's gonna do my head in who the winger was. There was one game where Reece James and the lad in front of him just looked perfect, and then it never happened again. And it's gonna really frustrate me who it was. I try to remember, but that's been our problem. Is that there's been there's been no cohesion with mm-hmm. anyone next to them. It, it, it is like they've, it's like they've all just met or they're sort of on this like weird fever dream, and they don't know anyone. And they, they only know themselves. And it, it is it is so I'm kind of thinking there's obviously there's obviously too many options, and that goes without saying. But then you also look at the fact of there's a lot of centre backs, but two are already injured. You've then got a situation where Sheva is now not for sale. We're trying to give this contract to Colwell, And again, it comes down to your best two of the few you've got. We've got Wesley Fofana to at least 40 on 200 grand a week.
3: Well, he's out for the season.
2: And that's what I mean. So yeah. there's, one of the, there's one of them, 39 then. Um, but that, that's what I mean. That, that, that's kind of, you know, Neil's got written down here, you know, what what is a good season. And that's kind of one of the things is like, there's plenty of players there who are seemingly... And they're at the right time Or, or if, you're, if you you can see why At this side of their career mm. You'd want to manage them But there's too many of them yeah. So it comes down to like Macro and micro decisions around
3: that, it, That's it, why it's a bit confusing Why Chelsea didn't think You know, we've already got 15 players Who are 23 and under Why not, let's, why not try and sign Three or four experienced players To guide them so even if they're not going to be the best player, they're going to provide the balance because you, there's a situation where Chelsea want to keep Col- Will, and they know that he might be starting for England in the future, all that kind of stuff, or Chelsea captain. But then they just spend £35 million on Badis Sheely and they're probably your two best left back uh, centre-backs, but they're mm-hmm. both left-footed. Yep. And now you've got a situation where they're probably thinking, well, We're going to probably have to partner them with Thiago Silva, but Thiago Silva really should be on the back foot.
1: Yeah, guiding them through, oh, in the, and then, oh, in the middle of a three. But yeah. that's the thing; that yeah. it almost means like it's your only way of getting around it is to play a three. You couldn't play the two left. I mean, I don't know why, but just no one plays two left-footed centre-backs. So you sometimes get two right.
3: Arsenal did for the uh, last
1: four games of the season few injuries, Gabriel and Kivior. But it's still really weird for yeah. some reason. Like, I don't know why the the, the the lefties aren't quite as good at going on your. I think side. it's because
0: yeah. often lads who play left-hand side at centre half or right-footers have been for a long period of time. Because whereas everyone who always is left-footed plays left-hand. To to set it off for the first 10 years, they play the position. You're going to do that one. Yeah. It doesn't sort of happen the other way. I think on the one is a good, like, I could easily. like I can write down A team that's A let's have yeah. a laugh team Yeah But I think Cuckoo and Sterling Up front Both false nine And the faces off together <laughs> grafting like nothing on earth I think would be great to watch Genuinely I think They're two really good players Who both can score I think that The Sterling doesn't score Things completely overstated I think if you get him In a good rhythm He can score mm-hmm. I think there's good players There in wide areas That you can pick You know You could then do A midfield two That was Fernandez, And I will just presume Kai Sey yeah. was coming yeah. in yeah. Yeah. You know And then suddenly You've got two good Left backs there In Chilwell and Cucurella. Who have the manager needs a good manager can get them my point is I can see uh, that's a Chelsea team worth watching I can also see a. Uh what on earth are Chelsea doing? it's October and we still don't know what the season no, is?
1: Well, the thing I was going to say is you can make a Chelsea team that works and you can, I would back Pochettino to do that. The problem he's going to have is what about the players who aren't in that team who don't work, who, is, who aren't going to be getting any games because you said they're hardly going to be playing any time. Are they going to be looking to sell them in January? Are they going to be looking to be saying, well, look, we, we can't play you but we need you so you stay fit? Well, oh, play sentiments. <laughs> because, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm looking at that squad and I don't know how you feel about it Chris but obviously there may well be another goalkeeper to come in so at the moment it's still Kepa but it's only really Reese James and Enzo Fernandez who I think are locked in uh, like, who I would say are 100% going to play yeah every time they're
3: fit. It should be Raheem Sterling as well, yeah, for me th- personally. Yeah, I think he will be, I think Completely he will be. But
2: that's great. what I mean, so like, when I was sat, when I was having my little flat white before, and I, I wrote, I saw the good season one, I basically wrote as I would have said, I wrote it in one go, and I literally wrote, the last two words are crucial, just a good season, maybe even a season without metrics just means it can't be measured, just some progress towards something hopeful. And then I sort of went on to like, if it clicks out of nowhere, and it becomes a case of like, oh shit, this is happening, this is the thing, this is competitive, that's obviously not a problem. If it looks like it's more of the slow burn and hopefully again it's just worthwhile, I because it's hard to underestimate I think how much has happened the last three years from Lampard to Lampard 2 this time it's personal <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you've, you, you've got you've got a number <laughs> you've got so much has happened from European to relegation effectively not, not, not a million miles off that whole conversation and that's what I mean I then put that thing if you've probably got as close to a reach reset as a club that's got and I think the manager knows that and that's why I took it there's also there's so much to learn about almost every single player in that squad yeah. there are so so many question marks and I like what you said because I don't think that's always a bad thing There was so, there's so much to do you know we had um, Ian Mateson last night score a brace in the in the big one in the Florida Cup against Wrexham uh, Chelsea fans by the way on a side note they're really nice we had Ben, Ian, Chris and Connor score for us last night <laughs> <laughs> which, which the boys of the boys of West London will be banging to that um, um, yep. and that's what I mean so there's, there's enough enough of having got clear positions we kind of said that like he's a left back who you could you could wager as maybe last night showed he might push a bit further up and that's not, that's not it's not a nice problem to have uh, nice problem to have because you've got plenty of left wingers as it is mm. but it's just a case of like so that's why and i am ended like just a season that matters which sounds woefully unambitious but like I think you'll get it just I think of like, alright this is something and that's where the players who aren't playing I don't as long as it matters to that, as long as it matters as long as he creates basically a mm. culture which isn't the culture of Chelsea which has always been this has probably got 18 months in it I'm either on the bus or I'm off and then when I got off and the next lad starts driving the bus so it'll, 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 there'll be enough, enough seats to grab you know Which I mean that's almost mm-hmm. what it's been
1: so, and those players don't know much different so this was going to be my other question because potentially the uh, expectations are lowered for were you I'm not sure how representative you are of the Chelsea fan base in general In fact, I'd like, I'd like to <laughs> it yeah I was going to say based <laughs> on what I know of you not very um, but does this mean that there's going to be more patience for the manager does this mean they're actually going to give him time to put his stuff into place. Well, that's, if there's less. that's
2: the thing is, whose who decision is that? It's these owners who at the moment have appeared surprisingly amateur. Like even the fact of, so they did too, They tried to cram too much into a summer last year and they're trying to cram the opposite of that into this summer mm. this year and such and you just sort of think like everyone just calm down. Like again, it comes back to that thing of everyone is swinging for perfection and they sort of think this needs to happen, happen now or we need to have... Identity, or think they're talking about uh, a new stadium, you know, you know, finding a new home for a few years and building that, and they're doing that because of what Spurs have done. And it's like, but you don't—that's not—that's not what you want. It's not what you need. It just, it, it's kind of—it's irrelevant. It's a bit like the Edward Ed again. Just come back full circle. once more like the Edward Woodward stuff of like, what are you running here? Yeah. Do you know what I mean you've you've gone and got a good manager who wants it. It wasn't an easy job for him to take in in a maybe a personal sense. Maybe it was an easier job because of how he left, Spurs. who knows? But he obviously wanted to take it. He then took an offer, of run up at it, to spend his time. You've put in the sporting director from various sort of like quite cool clubs like Monaco and Brighton but then you're not swinging you're not aiming for what Monaco and Brighton do do you know what I mean so it's just like what is it so I think possibly yeah because he almost is the most senior football person at the, at the club mm. so maybe they will give him the time of day and listen to him
3: I think it's probably the worst 700 million ever spent by a club in a short period of time like it's And can genuinely... we put that
2: in the cabinet is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> you'll
3: like, never try. sing that <laughs> <laughs> uh, sort of <laughs> Like think to think of the team that you had when you won the Champions League, and you were going into last season thinking if you had a striker. I know Lukaku wasn't the one, but if you had a striker, we can Mm -hmm. now challenge to for the Premier League. To the team, twenty-five minutes. (laughs) The team of the squad that you have now, where you're thinking we probably still need a striker, we need a goalkeeper, Mm -hmm. we need a right-sided centre back, we need a defensive midfielder, and you spend seven hundred million. It's quite scary to be honest, because I think. Pochettino probably does less pressure on it and it's probably easier for him to get his ideas across because he's got a young, impressionable group. But at the same time, Chelsea fans will still remind everyone that we're Chelsea and Chelsea win trophies and we can't do what Arsenal do and go three years where we go eighth, eighth, fifth. And Pochettino will still be in charge, so it, it might be very tough. It might well be. Uh, as a note on all of this,
0: as Chris has said, it's 340 days. 340 days since Tuchel and Conte uh, had their spat on the sideline. Uh, feels about 3,040 certainly in Chelsea <laughs> years. Thank you very much to Chris. It's been an absolute pleasure to Teza to mo- more of them all the way through the season. If you are listening to this for the first time, Robbie and Jack as well. Uh, brilliant to get them involved. Uh, this is what the Friday show is. That's the way in which it works. 340 days. It boggles the mind.